Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartledgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. I just ask that, that you'll be with us as Rob brings about this message, Lord, um, that the Holy Spirit will dwell within him and, and speak words, not Rob's words, Lord, but, but your words, that you will bring conviction on our hearts. Conviction, Lord, that is so deep that it brings us pain unless we, we don't follow your word. Um, I just ask, Father, that you will bless this this sermon today, um, and that not only it will burden the hearts of the, the congregation here today, Lord, but it will go out onto the internet and it will bring a burden on your people throughout the world and may even start a revival. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen. All right, so Revelation 1 1, we all know. Well, we should all know the opening verse of Revelation, that it's simply telling us what the book is, it, that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, who gave Jesus, to show his servants what must soon take place. It was given to show his servants what must soon take place, soon. You know, the Bible, and I'm going to be talking about this later, in the New Testament, these days in which we live have been considered end times. You know, I think the church very much has considered that, you know, uh, now that we've had 2,000 years past, that the church hasn't been living in end times until the present time. But, you know, the church has always considered itself in the last days. And if you think about it, what's the average lifespan of a human being? Yeah, so all of you are 70 to 80 years, some much closer than that. <laughs> I didn't look at anybody. I'm trying not to look at anybody. You're, you're that close to the coming of the Lord in the sense that you will be meeting with the Lord. You know what I mean? So it's last days for all of us. We've just got a few precious years on this planet. We've got to get it right in that time. We've got to turn to Jesus in that time with all our heart. We've got to follow the leadings and promptings of the Spirit, be completely sold out to him, not looking to the right or the left, but following straight after him and living a life of repentance. That's what the call is. That's what Christianity is. You know, don't think that you can just claim Jesus Christ and go your own merry way and live how you want and expect to be saved. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. If you want to be worthy of Jesus Christ, it says that we must take up our cross to become worthy. We must walk in the spirit. We must not walk by the flesh. Who knows I go over this ground a lot. 
And God continues to tell me, go over this ground. Keep going over this ground. The church needs to hear it. Continually tell them until they start to walk in it. You know, there's a a, a famous story of of a pastor who was in a church and he preached this message. And then uh, the the church all congratulated him for such a fine message and and the congregation left. The next week, the congregation came back and he preached the same message. And the congregation looking at each other like, what's going on here? They left and uh, didn't have much to say to the pastor that day. Then the third week, the congregation came back and he preached the same message. And they go up to the pastor, what are you doing? You know, you're preaching the same message. And he says, yeah, I'm going to keep preaching until you get it. I'm going to keep preaching it until you change, until you take a hold of what Jesus Christ wants to do in us. You know, we've got the same Bible that we've had for 2,000 years, probably, you know, with slight differences according to translation, but essentially saying the same thing. Why? Until we get it. Until we get it. Until this thing becomes part of us. This is like software. It's got to be placed in the hardware. Do you know what I mean? We've got to insert it. And the only way you can live for Christ is by the Spirit. You can't live for Christ and sin like the devil. You must walk by the Spirit. Amen? Who sees this? He calls us to repentance. Unless you repent, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're holy, you will not see the Lord. Come on, let's take a hold of that. Unless we're holy, we won't see the Lord. People trying to tell you now that you can't obey the Lord. Well, we... We obey the law by following the promptings of the Spirit. The law is fulfilled if we follow the Spirit. But we don't follow the Spirit in our own strength. We follow the, uh, sorry, we don't follow, obey the law in our own strength. We follow the Spirit. And by following the Spirit, we obey the law. It's by default. It, it's something that we do. So how do we do that? We live a life of repentant prayer before God totally devoted. That's why he says, pray unceasingly. It's not just for the, the few great characters of the past, like praying Hyde, John Hyde. It wasn't just written for John Hyde. Hey, John Hyde, pray unceasingly. We write about him as this unbelievable man of God because he obeyed the scriptures. That's all he did. He obeyed the scriptures and lived it. And we, we look at him as if, oh, man, we can never attain to that. But you know what? We've got no choice. We have to attain to that. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. Just to enter the kingdom of heaven. We're called to that. This is, this is huge. The Bible is cut and dry in relation to this. And if anyone, you know, probably is hearing this from the first time uh, from me, then I can give you a list of sermons to start listening to where everything I'm telling you is backed up in Scripture. Now, if that makes anyone feel condemned, if anyone feels condemned that they can't possibly live up to the expectations of the Scriptures, then all that means is you've got to repent. Remember the story? There was a a tax collector and a Pharisee. The tax collector, I can't remember all the wording of it, but he beat his chest. He probably wanted to tear his clothes. He said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a terrible person. Lord, forgive me because I can't do right. I need your help, Lord. And what's the Pharisee doing? Thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy. You know, 
I tithe, I give a tenth of everything I, uh, I earn, I do good things. Now Jesus Christ said this, which one of them come away justified? The self-righteous Pharisee? Or the, or the tax collector who felt condemned in his sin and fell on his knees and repented? Guys, be that tax collector. Live that life. Beat your breast and say, woe is me, I am undone. I need your spirit to help me to walk the, the narrow road. Because, guys, I, I want to walk the narrow road with you, and I know we're going to have to probably go single file because it's narrow. And, uh, but it's, and only few find it, but there's only a few in the church, so that's good. So we've all found it. So now let's get on that narrow road. Let's walk that path. And if we have to walk on our knees, let's do it. Amen? Because this life is short. You only have to humble yourself like this for a short time and then you get received in the kingdom of heaven. Sin is removed and you can live in Christ freely. But until then, there are restrictions. There are um, signposts along the way. There are parameters to live according to. We must walk between those parameters to receive the kingdom of heaven. The Bible doesn't say you can go out and, and do whatever you want. It doesn't say you can watch porn, take drugs, get, get as drunk as you want. It doesn't say you can do that. It says do not do that. I don't know how the church got so mixed up in this. So we've got to live according to the narrow parameters. It doesn't mean we're narrow-minded. Actually, true Christians are the most open-minded people on the planet. They realize there's a demonic realm most of these people who call us narrow-minded don't realize there's a demonic realm. We realize that the universe was created by God, not by chance. We have a far greater comprehension and, and vaster understanding of, of things than the average person. We're not narrow-minded, but we have to walk within the narrow parameters of the gospel. Amen? Now, I don't know how I digress this far because I started with Revelation. So let's go back. <laughs> The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Do you think it's important to know the future in this day and age? Are we living in troubled times? We're living in extremely, extremely volatile times. Sometimes, you, you know, if you watch too much of the evening news on all our channels that we have on TV now, you get news here, there, and everywhere. And if you watch too much of that, you go to sleep. It's like watching a horror movie before you sleep. And you just think, what has happened to our planet? What, how, have I got a future here? How, what about my kids? Have they got a future here? The planet is volatile. The countries are volatile. It's a troublesome thing. My son and I were talking about the... The, the Middle East and, and all the stuff that's going on in Israel and, and, and around Israel. It's true. The, the Bible calls it a, a boiling pot. It's like it just, it's bubbling up. And, you know, Israel isn't completely innocent. Neither are the other countries. None of them are innocent. It's just a volatile situation. But the Lord tells us in his word that this is going to be the case in these days. So we're living in troubled times, but it's important to know the future, isn't it? The future. Everyone is fascinated by knowing something about the future. Anyone seen those things before, those tarot cards? 
it turns on those, you know, on HD, you, you go through those infomercials really quickly. Well, sometimes I stop and watch some of them. You know, Nutribullet. We bought one, we're fanatic about it for about a month, and then uh, too much trouble to make a Nutribullet. But anyway, you go through the infomercials, and you, we, we get to this um, station, and it's always got this woman on there, and they're all reading people's fortunes and stuff. People are paying money for that. Unbelievable. It's a huge business. People, Christians included, call psychic hotlines to the tune of billions of dollars a year and read their horoscopes daily. Did you know that? Christians call these lines because they're, they think it's spiritual. You know, they don't care if they're getting a demon to read their future. They just want to hear something about the future. This is evidence that people want to know what is going to happen. And more and more as these days are winding up, as the days of Jesus are closing in on us, more and more people want to know, have I got a future here? So what do they do? They, you know, they think that they're contacting deceased loved ones or whatever, but they're just getting demons to tell them what's going to happen to them. And the demons impress them because they can tell them a whole heap of information about themselves. Who got that email from me about that guy who went into this little village in England or something like that and, uh, and he set up this tent and he was, you know, made himself out to be this incredible uh, psychic guy who could tell people's future? Did anyone see that email I sent you? Yeah, yeah, and Sue's seen it. And um, this man's sitting down there and he's holding the guy's people's hands and he's, you know, um, telling them all these things about themselves and they're like going get out of here how did you know that how did you know that and then after a, a period of time this big curtain drops down and behind the curtain was a guy with facebook up with twitter up with all this information and he's just going Ch -ch 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 -ch. and he's telling this guy who's got an earpiece who's getting all this information straight from the computer you know be careful what you write on the computer guys because every last bit of it is recorded every bit of it it's all stored away. Do you know Google, if we have the ability to type something into Google and it pops up hundreds of suggestions in moments, right? If that's what we have access to, what do the governments have access to? If that's the power of what we can find out just through having normal internet access, what can someone who potentially called the Antichrist, can he have access to? You know, you imagine if Hitler had access to the power of Google, what he could have done, what he could have found out. And do you know what we see on the internet is just the tip of the iceberg, but there's all this stuff in the internet that's underneath that you don't see, and the iceberg's always bigger underneath than on top. There is that much stuff. So be careful what you write on, on the internet. Be careful of everything you say, because it's all recorded against you and one day they could use it. Skeletons in the closet, if you, or skeletons in the ether. Uh, 2 Corinthians, let's have a look at this. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 14 to 15, and it says, And no wonder for Satan himself. Actually, I found that this scripture flows on from what I wrote. People, Christians included, call psychic hotlines to the tune of billions of dollars a year and read the horoscopes daily, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And it is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. 
these people, they seem to, um, they seem to give off that sense that they, they're loving, they're righteous, they're going to do something good for you, they're going to help you. But they're really masquerading like that because they're Satan's servants. Anyone in the marketplace wanting to read your fortune, they're masquerading as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. And let's turn to Acts 16. Now, this is just to prove that these spirits have, people can get possessed by spirits which have incredible power. And this is a story of Paul and Silas. And uh, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she was even declaring, in that sense, the truth of what they were there to do. She kept this up for many days, so it obviously got very annoying. Okay, we know we're servants of God. Okay, we're trying to tell people the way of salvation. You keep over talk, talking over us. That's sort of the situation. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So when these people who are, uh, are into the occult, they're into the new age, they have spirits that give them the ability to predict the future. I think it's, 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 it's not a, a complete gift, but it has partial truth in it. And I think a lot of it, because I've seen, I know people who have had their fortunes told and things that they were told would happen actually happened. But from the moment they were told it, psychologically, they believed it and nearly everything that was said started to happen because they followed it out subconsciously. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, an example of that is I know someone who was told that they, he would move interstate. His current wife, they would be divorced etc., etc. Guess what happened within six months? He moved into state. Because he's thinking, I've got to move into state. I've been told I've got to move into state, so I went into state. And then in, in no time, the marriage started to fall apart, and then he started to think, well, obviously, it's coming true. You know, rather than work through it, just let, let go of it. You know what I mean? So this is the power they have. We've got to be, be careful of these kinds of for, um, fortune tellers. And we know of Nostradamus... The most popular supposed, supposed prophecies outside of the Bible is the prophecies of Nostradamus. He wrote his prophecies in quatrains, as, which is a stanza of four lines forming a poem or riddle, which can be interpreted in many ways, but Nostradamus admitted that he was deeply involved in the occult and warned his own son against getting involved in the occult. And he warned him because he didn't want his son to go to hell. And he knew what he was dabbling in was demonic. Now, there's, there's been lots of people that have come up and, and uh, spoken prophecies, but if they're not speaking them in the name of Jesus, and even if they are speaking them in the name of Jesus, you've got to test them. You've got to test the prophecies. If they don't come to pass, then that person's not a prophet. And there's been many big Christian leaders that have made all these, you know, astounding prophecies, and they haven't come to pass. Then we can know that they're false prophets. In the old days, they would stone them for that back in, in Israel. They'd stone him if he got it wrong. So you'd be very careful before you uttered a prophecy in Israel. True prophecy. Joe Schimmel said, But we know that God's prophecies are accurate, for they turn 
us to the one true God instead of the occult and worshipping the spirit world. This, what we're looking at now will turn our hearts to Jesus. The, it says that this is a revelation. The book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ, who Jesus Christ is. It reveals to us his glory and many things that are going to happen. 2 Peter 1.19 to 21, if we could turn there. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. So pay attention to these prophecies as to a light shining in a dark place. That's what prophecy helps us with. It helps us to see when things get dark. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, until the day of the coming of the Lord. So above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. It was, it was not according to his interpretation. For prophecy never had its origins in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how these visions came to pass. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They wrote down the prophecies. So we can be guaranteed of that. Isaiah 8.19, let's go there quickly. And this is in relation to false prophecies or false moves of um, fortune-telling. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? There's another thing. Even if they are dead, what are we asking them for? (laughs) I'm thinking, you know, you... You know, an old lady will talk to a lost uh, a husband who died years before, asking him what's going to happen. And I'm thinking, well, when you asked him when he was alive, could he tell you? How's he going to be able to tell you now if he's dead anyway? But I believe that these spirits that they're trying to contact and that are claiming to be people that they used to know aren't at all that those people. They're demons disguising themselves or claiming to be a past loved one. And it's very real. Who's, put your hand up if you've had experiences with this kind of thing, supernatural stuff. Anyone here? Yep, yep. It's real as far as, uh, like the Bible tells us that it happens. You know, um, Paul and Silas cast the demon out of that girl because she was speaking. And the Bible tells us that she could predict the future. You know, these spirits are very, very real. Uh, you've seen these two? Oprah? And that's Eckhart Tolle. Joe Schimmel said that we don't want to go after people who channel spirits. Oprah Winfrey has people on a show who channel spirits like Eckhart Tolle who channels demons. But they wouldn't say that he's channeling a demon, of course. They use some biblical terms but then tell you that you can become gods. It's ancient Gnosticism revived, the spirit of the Antichrist. And why I'm going over this is because this sermon's going to go online and I don't know you guys, I don't know you know, what you put your faith in or your trust in, but there's a lot of Christians. Do you know Oprah Winfrey has led so many Christians astray in America with her false teachings? She uses, you know, like, like Joe Schimmel said here, they use biblical terms, but they lead the masses astray. Christians get caught up in it because if you don't know the Bible, if you don't know what the Bible says about these guys, you, how can you discern if it's right or wrong to do it? You know, when I first became a Christian, I, I knew very little about things. And I remember once I bought this necklace 
with this little thing that the person told me will bring you good luck. And even though I was a Christian, I thought I, I put it on, I have a bit of good luck. I ended up giving it to my dad. Shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Didn't bring him any luck. And he's an atheist, and he looked at me like, what's this? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was deceived. I was thinking that, oh, okay, now I'm spiritual. This must be a spiritual thing. I didn't know what the Word had to say. I needed teaching. I needed to grow up. You know, and that's why I'm teaching this, uh, because there's a lot of Christians that don't know this stuff, that they turn to all sorts of things. And Leviticus 19.31, just flick over there. There's Genesis, Exodus, and then you go Leviticus 19.31, and it says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. Christians get defiled. If you go near that stuff, you get defiled. You get corrupted, and you get deceived, and you need to repent. If you've had any involvement with it, with those kinds of things, you need to repent. Amen? Isaiah 44, 6 to 8. Only God can tell, foretell the future. Demons will deceive you with the future. They'll speak into your life and they'll speak things into existence in your life that wouldn't have probably come about if you never went and got your fortune read by them. If you've ever had your fortune read, you must repent and you must ask God to cleanse you of everything that's happened in you since that time that stuff that you could be carrying in you, beliefs about yourself that could have been stimulated on the day that you've had that, that your fortune read or, or anything, any dabbling in the occult must be repented of. Isaiah 44, 6 to 8. And it says, This is the, what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Therefore, he can tell the future because he's the first. He was around in the beginning and he's the last. So he knows what's already going to happen because he's already there. You know, don't think everything we do is taking God by surprise. Every moment, God's already there. It's like this. This is a, a sort of a, not the best analogy, but so you can see it. God's like, uh, is a symbology of it would be like a helicopter, and there's a parade traveling down a street. And if you're in the helicopter, you can see the parade way back there, and you can see where it's going to go. You can see the whole thing in one motion. But if you're down on the street like we are, we only see the bit that's passing by us at that moment. But God can see the whole thing. But it's even greater than that. But that's so you can get an understanding of it. So 44, 6 to 8, it says, This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. So don't think there's any other gods apart from God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. Um, let's go to 24, just the same chapter. Isaiah 44 still, but it's 24 to 28. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out the heaven, heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who falls the signs of the false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers. See, his messengers come and they predict things if they speak on behalf of him, and he will fulfill those things that they predict. 
I might just go to the last one. Isaiah 46, 8 to 10. This is a famous one. Remember this and fix it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. And I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. God can do all that he pleases. We've got to stay within his parameters. We can't do all we please, but God alone can. And his purpose will stand. The things in Revelation are going to be fulfilled. Who believes that? Yeah? The things in Revelation will be fulfilled, and we, I believe, are moving very, very quickly towards that. There are still quite a few things that have to take place, and I'll be talking about that in in future sermons. There's a number of things that have to happen before even the seven-year tribulation period can begin. And uh, so don't get... Don't let anyone deceive you thinking the seven-year tribulation period has begun. It hasn't begun. Uh, There are a number of things that we we will discuss in in the future which will give us the clear indication that, yes, once they happen, we can say, yes, that period of time has come. My question is, are you ready? If the seven-year tribulation period started tomorrow, are you ready? And the reason I ask this is because 2 Thessalonians 1 to 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 tells us, and also Matthew 24, 9 to 10 tells us that at that time many will turn away from the faith. Who feels they're a strong Christian? Put your hand up if you feel like you're a strong Christian. Are you prepared to die for God? Are you prepared to die for Jesus? Are you prepared to be thrown in the prison? Are you prepared, prepared to take the worst kind of tortures for the name of Jesus? Yeah? You know, a lot of people, and I know Christians, they'll, they'll, they'll one minute they'll say, yeah, I'm prepared to die for Jesus, and the next minute they won't go to church in like a year. Now, okay, people say, oh, well, it's not all about going to church, being a Christian. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Jesus instituted the church. He died for the church. Right? Why did he institute the church? Because he realized that we needed to come together to encourage each other and all the more as we see the day approaching. Because you know what? You know what could help you to stand in days to come? The messages that you hear in this church. Because God's told me that I must prepare his people for trouble and hardship like they've never, ever experienced. And in the West, we have not, well, especially this part, we have not experienced it. Right now, there are people dying for Jesus. Was it 150 people, Christians, have been grabbed by ISIS and we don't even know their fate? Getting their heads cut off. They're getting tortured psychologically and physically in ways that you've got to ask yourself, if, if I was there, how would I, ha- how would I handle that? Well, the Bible tells us that At that time, many will fall away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Father will betray um, son to death and a mother her child. Kids will dob in their parents and say, there's some more Christians. They're, they're, They're my parents. They're Christians. Kill them. This is what we're heading into. We're heading into the most troublesome times, and the church ain't ready. 
especially this side of the world. The church is not ready for it. And I'm worried because if Jesus says that there's going to be this massive falling away, they call it the great apostasy, the great falling away. There's something like, I don't know, 2.2 billion Christians on the planet. Do you know how quickly those 2.2 billion will diminish when persecution hits the church? You're just going to see it go, if that's 2.2 billion and the and that's zero, you're just going to see whoosh, straight down. Most people are going, whoa, wasn't called to this. Death for Jesus? Well, no way. If I, all I have to say is I recant and I'm free and I can walk out that door and continue my life, I recant. You see what I'm saying? Now, Jesus tells us that in these days, this is what's going to come on the church. And God has told me that I must prepare people. And he also tells me that only a few will listen. Because most people today have itching ears. They only want to hear the nice parts of Scripture. And trouble and hardship will overtake them. Because if, if the world is like, we, we seem to think in Adelaide we're this sheltered little protected place, nothing going on here. Like you hear about it, we just see it all in the news. All these other parts of the world are going through terrible, terrible times. We don't see it. So it mustn't really, it's not really happening. It feels more like watching a movie, doesn't it? We can't identify with it because we, don't, we aren't living in it. We're not under it. So what, what I'm putting out to you at the moment is, is I want you to wrestle with this. I want you to wrestle with this. I started wrestling with this about 12, 15 years ago. I already decided, I made up my mind 12 to 15 years ago that I'm prepared to lay down my life for Jesus Christ. And I said, Lord, you know, the one thing I could ask is make it quick. <laughs> make it quick. Just off with the head. I'm out of there. Tell you what, that's much better than dying slowly of a terrible cancer for two or three years. You know, just oh, head off, bang, you're out of there. And that's how this official way that people will be killed in the last days. Those that refuse to take the mark of the beast, the official form of, of uh, execution is beheading. And if the Bible says it, I believe it. So God makes known to us the end from the beginning. As Christians, we are not only to study history past, but because of the Bible's prophecies, we are to study history future. It's very important we study history future. Go to the end of the book of Daniel. It's the last chapter, 12. And I'll start reading. You guys find it. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress Listen to this, there will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. And that's also spoken, Jesus speaks that about, uh, says those same words nearly identically in Matthew 24. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awaken, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Don't be among the, those that will waken to everlasting contempt. Don't be among those that Jesus says, get away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. That's what I was talking about earlier in this sermon. We must live Christ-like lives. Not a little bit. 
It's not you, you live 5% of your day doing right things or living righteously in the Spirit and 95% of your day living like the devil. You must live 100% of the time in the Spirit. Now, if you don't live in the Spirit, it should be this. You should know straight away. You should be awakened to it and go, I repent, Lord. I fell out of your will for that moment. Lord, bring me back. And you've got to st- keep coming back, keep coming back. That is the fight of the faith. We've got to stay the faith, stay the course. You know, they, it's like a run. Who's, anyone here been a runner? At least, you know, long-distance runner. Anyone done long-distance running? You bunch of slackers. <laughs> All right, I used to do a lot of long-distance running. I used to be on these, you know, 10-kilometer runs sort of thing. And you know what? About five, six k's in, your legs are burning and your chest is burning and your, everything is saying, oh, just have a walk, you know, and you just got to keep on going. And it's hard. But then as you, sometimes in the run, and a lot of the time I've found you get that second win and you can go really strong right to the end. Now that's sort of like the, the Christian life. As you start running the Christian life, it, it's easy at first because you're fresh. Oh, it's great. It's great. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm going to live this life really well. And then all of a sudden, whew, it's hard now. Now I'm burning. Now my chest is hurting. Now everything's against me. I'm hitting that wall. I don't like it anymore. I don't like this life anymore because Christianity is not like my pastor originally told me it was going to be. It's tough. Living in the Spirit, it's easier to stop and rest and lay down. But when you enter a race, you must complete the race, and you don't pull out. You keep on going, no matter what. And that's the Christian life. Now, once you push through that wall and you keep going, then you get your second wind. And all of a sudden, God fulfills you and completes you. He empowers you with his Holy Spirit, and, man, you can live that life. And when you come to that finish line and say the finish line is a martyrdom, you know, you're going to die for Jesus Christ. You are in the power of the Spirit and you can lay your life down and do it gloriously. You know, how many of you here know that this is how many Christians are living their Christian lives overseas right now? Yeah? You know, it's really, I have to say, it's really hard to preach on this stuff in a peacetime community. I remember I, I wrote a book called Taking Up Your Cross and uh, prior to the book being published I had an opportunity to preach in a past church that, and I got up and I preached about taking up your cross, I preached about martyrdom, I preached about all these things and I brought up all the scriptures, I had about 30 or 40 scriptures, I really pounded, the, it was completely out of the norm because the church was a prosperity thinking church and everyone's looking at me like, are you for real buddy? Anyway, I got told later by the pastor that about three or four people, some of the older Christians in the church, said, if you let that guy speak in this church again, we're leaving. They don't want to hear it. People don't want to hear it. It's not comfortable, is it? It's not comfortable. You might have to die for Jesus. Oh, thanks for that. I'm going to go home really happy. But you know what? That is true Christianity. That's when you think when the, the 12 disciples, you know, uh, committed to Christ and they were baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and what did Jesus say to them? Be prepared. You must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of heaven. I don't think they went and said, oh, this is the wonderful. I think they went, what? Through much, what? And he just saw, they just watched Jesus, you know, getting beaten and tortured, crucified. And then he says, and 
you know, well, before that, he said, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And they're going, what? That's why they were like scared little lambs at first. But then once they were empowered with the Spirit, it all made sense. It all made sense. It's like this shift. Suddenly, of course. Of course. You know, you think about it this way. How many people put up their hand and join the Australian army? Right? These aren't even believers. Like, there's no way I'd join an army unless I was a Christian because I'd want to know where I'm going if I die on my first battle front, you know, run out there with a gun, poof, dead. I'd want to know I'm going to be with Jesus. But these people are willing to die for their country. They take up arms to defend their country or to do the government's bidding in someone else's country. But these people are willing to do that. How much more? How much more should Christians be willing to put on the armor of God and live and die for Jesus and have that mentality? Yeah? It's just, it just makes perfect sense. Now, guys, I didn't expect to actually preach this today, so there might be a few of you here that needed to hear it, but I, I, that was not on my list of things to preach about, martyrdom and and all that. So whenever that happens and, and I tend to get driven down that road, I realize, okay, this is what God wanted me to preach today. More important than the actual specifics of my message is the specifics of what he wanted to say. So the time is near as we know that. But it says, but you, Daniel, close up. This is verse 4 of chapter 12. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. And then it says, many will go here and there and increase knowledge. And that can come in two different, you can take that two different ways. Many will come, go here and there and increase knowledge. It could be from a, spirit, from a Christian standpoint, we can go here, there and, and get a, bring all this knowledge in and understand things better. Or it could be that they will go to all kinds of religions and cults and things and get deceived. But sealed up. So at the end, when Daniel was written, it was sealed up. So Daniel probably went, well, thanks for that. Now no one understands it. What's the use of my book now? Or at least these parts of it. And the reason it was sealed up was because it's probably going to be about 3,000 years before they were, are fulfilled. At least 3,000 years. So it, it's sealed up without it having to be sealed up, if you know what I mean. You can't understand it. Let's go to the next scripture, which is unsealed, Revelation 22, the end of Revelation. Revelation 22, verse 10. And then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. So there's a relevance in the book of Revelation right from the time it was written in around 90 AD. It was relevant in part to every generation. And the time is near, as I said, the coming of the Lord is as close as we die. Do you know what I mean? Could be as soon as that. So these things are relevant. To live the way they say is relevant. Let's go to verse 21, verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. This is after everything is completed. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God and he will be my son. And then he said this, but the cowardly... 
But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, and the word there is, um, what's the word for sorcery in Greek? Pharmakeia. The word pharmakeia, which they've translated here to magic arts, means drugs. So if you're into drugs, that's, these people are outside of the kingdom. The idolaters the, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and this is the second death. So it's very clear that those that live for Jesus and do his will receive the kingdom of heaven. Those that don't live for Jesus, that don't do his will, who walk away from the Spirit and commit these vile acts continuously will not receive the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't matter whether they say, I believe in Jesus or not. It doesn't matter if you say, I am a Christian or not. You know, you've got to back up what you say with action. Faith without works is dead works, or dead faith, I should say. We must live and walk the talk, as it were. If we say we're Christian, then let's prove it. Let's be Christian. So it was unsealed. Ever since Christ, it has technically been called the end times. And there's three scriptures for you. You can look them up at home. Hebrews 1.2, Hebrews 9.26, and 1 John 2.18. Now, I just want to talk about the 12th Imam because there's no better time to begin this study in the book of Revelation with that rise of ISIS and the Islamic world currently paving the way for the 12th Imam. Who's heard about the 12th Imam? Anyone? Yeah? It's the Messiah of Islam. I was... Um, just reading about uh, different leaders, supreme leaders in, in Iran who are, are preparing for the coming of the 12th Imam, and they actually all believe it. They're, religiously, they expect at any time that a 12th Imam will arise, and this is the credentials of the 12th Imam. He'll rule for seven years. He'll come on a white horse. He'll put Christians, Jews, and anti-Islamists to death, and the form of behead, uh, death will be by beheading. So he'll rule for seven years. Who does that sound like? Antichrist rules for seven years. So who they believe their Messiah is, the Islamic Messiah, is the exact credentials of the Antichrist spoken of in the Bible. The, the Islamic creed is there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. So they hold Muhammad up above. They, they acknowledge the prophets of the Bible, but they don't believe anything they say. The unforgivable sin, did you know this? That shirk, they call it shirk. The only unpardonable sin is in Islam is shirk or the associating or joining of other gods to the one God. You know why, why I brought that up? Is this, is how, this is why it's so tough to bring a Muslim to faith in Christ. Because to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and joined with God and is one with God, because Jesus' words were, I and the Father are one, to believe that is to commit shirk, the unpardonable sin, associating or joining a God with the one and only God. And that's an unpardonable sin. That's what we, what's our unpardonable sin in, in, in Christianity? Yeah, we all know that, don't we? It's sort of right on the tip of our tongue all the time because we've got to be careful. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Do you know what? A Muslim doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit is God because there can't be. There's only one God, Allah, and he has no son. 
And the Holy Spirit is definitely not God. There's only God. So to believe in Jesus is to commit the unpardonable sin. So do you imagine, that's like us trying to, uh, you know, thinking we've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Who's, who's ever been tormented by that, thinking you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit? I have. I've had a, there was a bout in my life for about two or three weeks where I thought I had accidentally did it. And then a, a wonderful man of God said, well, if you're that worried, I don't think you've done it. So I knew I hadn't did it because the people that do it have actually committed their hearts to it. Yep. Do you know what I'm saying? But you imagine how hard is that for a Muslim to turn to Jesus when they think that that is going to be the most terrible, terrible sin. And you know what I thought about this morning? I thought, how clever is Satan? If you want people not to become Christian and if you want to keep them in their faith, their evil faith, just create a a, th- a thing like that, unpardonable sin, shirk. That's brilliant. I've got to give it to him. He's pretty smart. Do not underestimate the enemy because I know a lot of Christians do. They have an underestimation of just how powerful Satan is. He, he is a powerful angel and he's very intelligent, very, very smart, but not, not tough enough for God, but he's smart. To convert from Islam to Christianity is to commit shirk. So Muhammad used Gnostic texts to inspire the Quran and was influenced with the doctrine that God does not have a son, which is stated on the Dome of the Rock, and it's also on the Alaska Mosque uh, on the Temple Mount, which John said was the spirit of Antichrist. 1 John, if we could just turn there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. And it says, Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. And he denies the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Son has the Father. So you know what? Muslims don't really worship God because they deny the Son, then they don't have the Father as well. They're not really worshipping God. They might use the name Allah, which in that area means God. How many countries use the term Allah for, for, for their uh, term for God? Anyone who speaks Arabic, if they say Allah, and they can be Christian, they'll still use the name Allah because Allah means God. But to a Muslim, a different God than the Christians serve. It's like um, the New Age have a Christ. They have a, um, you can uh, ascend to Christ consciousness. Not the same Christ we serve. They worship a Christ, but not the same Christ we worship. Amen? So we know from this that they are an antichrist movement. And I don't think that was much news for any of you, but it's just good to know it from Scripture anyway. All right, so let's pray. Thank you, God. Lord, we just um, thank you for this time now, and I thank you that you gave me some words uh, in due season, I hope, and I hope it's been um, helpful to many people here that, uh, that you would prepare them. You would have concern for us to prepare us for um, the potential of something in the future that we might not have considered could happen to us, but just to get us thinking, Lord, to get us start getting us ready for these times because there are some terrible times that lay ahead and the Bible makes it so clear. And let us not live unprepared. It's better, the, better to be prepared to go through something like this and not have to than not be prepared and then be forced to go through it. Let us get our hearts and our minds and our lives ready for what could possibly take place. 
And Lord, I just think this is wisdom. And personally, I think that every uh, great move of God of the past uh, had that attitude because everyone's been considering themselves living in the end times uh, throughout the last 2,000 years. So give us that, uh, that mentality to be a strong, bold, uncompromising Christian, ready to hold on to the end and not give up the faith no matter what. And Lord, I know this, if we take on that attitude, it's going to change who we are as Christians. It's going to make us different people, a people that you would be honored to have in the kingdom with you. And so, Lord, make us these people so that when we get there one day, you'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant, come and enter into your rest, into my rest, I should say, sorry. And so, Lord, we long for that day that we're with you, and we're with you now by the Holy Spirit, and so we're so thankful that you've given us your Holy Spirit. So I pray for you to move us with a deeper understanding of the truth, a deeper understanding of, uh, and give us great insight into the Scriptures and help us to... Uh, navigate this life better than what we've been doing up till now. Make us strong in our convictions and strong in the way that we live this life out. And I pray all this in your wonderful name. Bless everyone here. Bless their week. May they have awesome weeks in you. Cover them all in your precious blood. Put your angels around and protect them and keep them. Uh, And may we all see each other again next week. And uh, we just want to thank you, Lord, for being a wonderful Thanks for listening to the sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.